Welcome to Blitzcats, an NFL Draft podcast brought to you by NFLDraftBlitz.com. And now, your hosts, Alex Kavtov and Ed Hunt. Welcome to Blitzcast number 71, and we'll get right into this show because the Texans have been busy right before NFL season is about to begin. They've been trading left and right. They finally found a left tackle from the Miami Dolphins and Laramie Tunsil. They got a nice consolation prize in, in Kenny Stills, the, the wide receiver who also came out, came over from the Dolphins. But let's start with Jadavian Clowney. Obviously a first overall pick by the Houston Texans a few years back. They obviously tried to re-sign him. He didn't go anywhere. The negotiation process wasn't going anywhere. Bill O'Brien decided to, to trade him before the, the season. We all know he was a valuable part of that defense because once Clowney got healthy, uh, he became a Pro Bowl player last year. They, they lose a big-time guy on defense, but they decided to trade him. They traded him to the Seattle Seahawks, and they only got a third-round pick in 2020. They got Barcavius Mingo. I didn't even know he was still playing in the league. I thought he was he was already out of it for, for a while. And they got Jacob Martin, a nice special teams player last year um, who contributed on special teams for the Seahawks last year. So the, the Texans got fleeced. What are, what are they doing here? This is like a desperation move, Ed. Yeah, there is one thing to this trade. I, I think it was kind of a hidden detail, but the Seahawks also agreed in this trade to not... Uh, to not extend Jadavian Clowney. So really they're they're trading for a rental player. So yes, this isn't a good trade for the Texans, but it's still it's still it's still the, the Seahawks are just renting Clowney. They're not getting him for a long term deal. And if the Seahawks don't resign him to a long term deal in the offseason, if that doesn't happen, they could actually get a, a third round pick for him. They can get the compensatory pick back. So that, that's kind of interesting. So they basically, they in the end, they could just give up only Barcavius Mingo and, and Jacob Martin, and that's it. But like I said, the Texans gave up a valuable part of that defense. I'm just, couldn't they get like a second round pick for, for a former number one overall pick? It, it's amazing to me. I mean, I look at what they gave up for Tunsil, what the Raiders last year, you know, got for Khalil Mack, and I'm just... I'm going, am I missing something? I mean, Clowney is a good player. I, I think the thing you're missing is that they're only going to have him for one year and it's a rent-a-player. That's why, that's why the the Seahawks were able to get him. But, All right, but, but it, it's, a, it's a great deal for Schneider, though. It's always, when the Seahawks make a trade, Schneider and Pete Carroll always wind up with the, with the better end of the deal. They never get the the, the short the end of you know the, the short of the stick. They they never do that. They always come out as winners in these trades. And I know that Jadavian Clowney, if he's going to stay healthy, he's going to help that defense in the end. And the Seahawks with Bobby Wagner and Jadavian Clowney, I mean that's that's going to be scary. So certainly, the Seahawks definitely won this trade. I mean they have they now have a top pass rusher, and you know they really only gave up you know, Barkevius Mingo. I mean, that was, that was the equivalent player. And then they got, you know, a special, you know, a backup linebacker. And so, I mean, the, the Seahawks, these Seahawks are loaded this year. I think they're a playoff team. Let's obviously the Texans didn't stop there. 
the Texans realized pretty quickly after they didn't get Andre Dillard in 2019 NFL draft in the first round. It seemed like they were going to get him, but the Eagles traded up before the Texans got on the clock. They drafted Andre Dillard, and the Texans panicked. I mean, they they decided to draft Titus Howard. And Titus Howard, from my understanding, he's been working more as a guard during the offseason than, than a left tackle. So the Texans figured out pretty quickly that they don't have a left tackle. Bill O'Brien decided. Obviously, the Texans don't have a GM right now, by the way. Bill O'Brien is running the show as a head coach and as an interim GM. And he pulled this trade off. Obviously, Deshaun Watson was, was sacked like a thousand times last year. He really was. I mean, he was actually 62. But it seems like every time he was back there, he was running for his life or, or on his back. They traded for Laramie Tunsil, one of the better left tackles in the game. Obviously, the Dolphins are rebuilding. They decided to, to trade one of their best players and, and get picks in return. So the Texans get Laramie Tunsil. And Kenny Stills, the wide receiver. And the Dolphins get two first-round picks and one second-round pick. Who do you think got got the better end of the deal here? Well, I really like what Miami's doing. You know, stacking up all these picks. So this is exactly what Cleveland did. And we look at Cleveland's talent now. They got so much talent on both sides of the ball. So Miami, it's going to look bad now. And I'm sure a lot of Dolphins fans are upset. But, you know, give them a couple years and then they'll be calling them Believe Land. Well, I guess we'll see. Um, like I said, obviously the Miami Dolphins, it's kind of interesting. They're going into this rebuilding project. They're probably going to be a top three, top five team last year, uh, next year. I apologize for that. They're going to be probably picking in the top three or top five in the 2020 NFL draft. But it's interesting that they decided not to start Josh Rosen. I just felt like they got to throw him out there on the field, find out what they have. Um, do, do they actually believe now that they're trading their best players that the Dolphins are going to compete in the NFC East? Why are they going with Ryan Fitzpatrick, who's, who's like 100 years old? Does, do they, the Dolphins actually believe that they have a chance to, to win some games? I would throw Josh Rosen in there and find out what I have because next year, if I'm going to have a top three, top five pick, Obviously, I'm going to spend it on quarterback if I believe Josh Rosen is, is, is not my guy. So that, that's my problem with the Dolphins. I, I understand the rebuilding project. It's just it needs to start with, with putting Josh Rosen, the young quarterback, in there um, and let him play the, the 16, you know, 16-week season. Find out what they have. What are they going to do now? Play Ryan Fitzpatrick for like half of the season? Go 0-8 and then throw Josh Rosen in there? The season is going to be over. I want to find out what I have right now. That's that's my only problem with what Flores and, and the Miami Dolphins organization is doing. I, I don't think they're they're handling this right. Well, I actually agree with I actually agree with going with Ryan Fitzpatrick. I think he is the best quarterback on their roster right now. I thought he was very successful and very underrated last last year with the Tampa Bay Bucks. So I actually think they should go with Fitzpatrick, see what they have in him. Maybe they have a journeyman older quarterback and going forward. I mean, you, you just you got to keep taking shots to get to get the quarterback you want. I guess, but they just don't have the team that is capable of winning. Even if they believe that Ryan Fitzpatrick gives them the best chance to win right now than, than Rosen, the only problem with that is the I look at their roster, I look at their offense and I'm saying where are the wins going to come from? 
Now you trade Stills, you trade Laramie Tunsil, probably your best player on offense. And it's like, how's Ryan Fitzpatrick gonna gonna stay upright? How are you gonna win games? And I gotta find out if Rosen is my guy. I and if I, I just think the Dolphins are trying to tank right now. I, I don't. They may they may not be. I mean, they may try to win their games, but they're not. They're not going for the Super Bowl right now. They, at least they're they're in rebuild mode. But I gotta give Rosen a big sample size. Head. I want to see him in all 16 games. I don't want to have him start eight games, and then I don't know what I have at quarterback. Like, should I draft Tua? Should I draft Justin Herbert? Or should I remain with Josh Rosen? I want to be settled with that. I want to find out if Rosen is my guy, and then I could draft a left tackle or go defense or, or get a wide receiver in, in next year's draft. That's my only problem. Like, I want to find out what... I'm going to do with that top five overall pick because it, it seems very likely that the Dolphins are going to be picking that high. And Tua is going to be there and Herbert is going to be there. How are they going to make a judgment call, uh, say, if, if Rosen starts six or eight games? That's a really small sample size. Well, if, it, if Fitzpatrick doesn't do well, then Rosen's going to get a chance anyway. So it doesn't even matter who they start at the beginning of the season. But if you have something in Fitzpatrick, then you'll go with them and maybe you'll win a few games. Obviously, Bill O'Brien, let's get back to the Texans. Obviously, Bill O'Brien and the Texans are going all in. Andrew Luck retired. They believe that they've got a chance to win right now with DeAndre Hopkins, Deshaun Watson. They still have a good defense, even though they traded away Clowney. They, They get Tunsil. They get Stills. And this is win now. And if Bill O'Brien doesn't get into the playoffs, he's going to be a goner with all these moves. And and another thing that I guess escapes everyone is like the Texans are not going to have any picks in next year's draft, Ed. I mean, that's that's a oh, huge yeah. thing. I mean, that's I mean, I I think Miami was smart to stockpile picks. This is the time of year. This was a smart time to make that trade too because this is the time of year where teams are trying to put together their rosters and so they're willing to give up picks. And what they did was they accumulated picks. So I think this is a very savvy move by the Miami Dolphins. Well, like I said, somebody is rebuilding for the future and somebody wants to win now. And but he, this is definitely a contrast of the two franchises. But I mean, if you're going to give me if you're going to give me two first round picks and a second round pick, I mean, I'll be I'll be a Super Bowl contender and still take that, you know? I mean, no, absolutely. I mean, you can absolutely. you can you can draft with two first round picks, you can you can, you know, you can, with a first round pick and a second round pick, you can move up and get whatever left tackle you want in the draft. I mean, a team could. I mean, if if the Dolphins want to, I don't think this is the best way to use their pick. I actually think they should use all their picks. But they could go up and get, let's say, Andrew Thomas. They trade a first and a second round pick, and they go up and they can get Andrew Thomas. But I don't think that's the best way to use it. But they can if they just really want a a left tackle in the short term. Well, we'll see. Like I said, they could get multiple picks. They they can wind up with with all the first round picks that the Dolphins have right now. They can. Wind up with the quarterback, get a left tackle, and a wide receiver. And there you go. They're, they've rebuilt their uh, their offense completely. And, uh, you know, the Laramie Tunsil and the Kenny Stills trade doesn't look all that bad. So, obviously, Flores is following the blueprint that, that the Patriots had. And uh, if your team isn't good, you're trading away players in order to get picks. And you're stockpiling them. That That's how you do it. I mean, you, you went through the draft. 
you you get better players through the draft. It's not by signing them in, in free agency. And obviously, the Dolphins felt like, hey, Laramie Tunsil is going to want an extension soon. We can't afford that. We're in rebuild mode. And they did give up a very good player, a promising player, a player who got better last year. I thought he was one of the better left tackles last year. But the Dolphins obviously felt like they got to think about the future, and it's not about now. All right, let's uh, move on to yeah. Well, I was just gonna say the, the the Houston Texans have pretty much thrown in the towel and saying we can't draft a left tackle, we can't draft an offensive line. I think the I told you this before. Um, the Texans were very interested in Andre Dillard, and Dillard was was a great fit in that in that offensive scheme and that zone blocking scheme, and when the Eagles surprised them by trading up and and getting ahead of them and and taking the player that they wanted instead of trading back the Houston Texans reached for somebody like Titus Howard and I wouldn't be surprised if that that's the reason why their GM got axed because it looked like a rookie move I mean he really got fleeced because Titus Howard could have been, would have been available in the second round. He was certainly not a first-round pick. With all due respect, I mean, Howard was at the senior bowl. He did well. But he's not a guy that's going to come in and just become a a franchise left tackle. And I think that's pretty evident. And, uh, yeah, the Texans have had a problem. Ever since Dwayne Brown left, they've had a problem in in trying to, to get that left tackle. And that was really problematic last year. I mean, it, it was a sore spot, and they, they couldn't keep Deshaun Watson upright. Tunsil definitely gives him that now, Ed. He gives him a franchise left tackle who can take on those pass rushers, those speed rushers, and, and Deshaun Watson will definitely have a lot more time in the pocket. So hopefully it will work out. I think it was definitely worthy, but they, they still had to give up a lot. In order to get Tunsil, they had to take on Still's contract, and... They had to get rid of those two first-round picks and the second-round pick. It's definitely a lot to give up. But if he can improve their offensive line overall, which I think he can, obviously it was it was a worthy move. Uh, let, let's move on to the NFL roster cuts, Ed. Uh, I think the biggest name to me that, that I saw, a player that I didn't expect to get cut, even though there were rumors, uh, LaShawn McCoy. Uh, LaShawn McCoy obviously had a down year last year uh, by his standards. And um, in training camp, there were some whispers that maybe he's going to be let go. And the Bills decided to pull the plug. Now they have Frank Gore, a 36-year-old Frank Gore. And they have a rookie from Florida Atlantic, Devin Singletary, in there. So um, really a surprising move. I I certainly didn't expect it. I thought they were going to keep McCoy for another year. Well, you know, as a guy who plays fantasy, I I drafted Devlin Singletary, and as I kind of read through the preseason, I realized that Devin Singletary was gonna win the job, and that's really that's really kind of what the story was out of out of Bill's camp. Um, you know, I I think Devin Singletary is an underrated back. Obviously, he didn't have a great combine. I think as someone like you kind of became a little bit more sour on him, but I'm I'm high on him. He's a guy who can make tacklers mix miss, and that's what you want in a in a, in a running back. I still think Frank Gore is going to be the starting running back to open the season. I think it's going to be seven seventy thirty. I just think Gore is somebody that can handle the 
the pass blocking duties. I mean, he's done that for so long. I just think the Bills are going to trust him, especially in the beginning of the season, a lot more than Singletary. You, but, uh, Singletary you, is going to be a third down back but do you, do you to think, start do, the season. Do you think, though, that Frank Gore, with the age he's at, can carry the load with 70% of the snaps? I do think so, based on what I saw last year. I mean, he was he was doing the same thing for the Colts in the beginning of the season. Um, to be honest with you, I was, I'm really impressed with the way he's been able to to stay healthy and keep himself in shape. And this isn't like a normal 36-year-old, to be honest with you. Usually you don't see running backs last for this long. This isn't a guy that's on his last legs. I think Singletary, once they trust him a little bit more, he'll get more snaps. But to open the season, the first couple of weeks, I expect to Gore to get most snaps. And Singletary is going to get a lot more third down duties out there. A guy who can catch the ball out of the backfield, maybe make some of those explosive plays. But I do think it's going to come down mostly to this, Ed. Frank Gore is a professional who can pass block. And you need to keep Josh Allen upright. Now, I don't think they're going to be able to trust Evan Singletary in the beginning of the season to, to handle those duties. But, I mean, like I said, we'll, we'll see. Once the season expands, I'm sure Singletary is going to get, I think, I'm sure it's going to get 50-50 if he plays well. Uh, I, I'm sure in the second half of the season, I mean, he's going to be the lead back. And they, they, I mean, he's done well in the preseason. He did have a good camp. I'm not saying I was blown away by it, by what he's done, because I think David Montgomery has done a lot better based on what I've heard out of the Bears camp. But, I mean, Singletary has been a nice player, and uh, I'm sure the Bills are high on him. I mean, they drafted him in the third round. Obviously, they they do think the world of him. Um, Any other surprise cuts out there? Somebody that you didn't, didn't expect to get cut? Well, I wasn't following as much, but I mean, I was pretty surprised to see Jakai Polite get dra- get get cut. Especially, I mean, when get I drafted, yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> well, no, that'd be that'd be really slamming the guy, really kicking him when he's down. But um, no, I, I mean, I thought he, I thought he was probably the second best pass rusher in this draft, other than Nick Bosa. I thought, I thought just pass rush ability, just ability to get pressure in college, with the film I saw and. I, I to be honest with you, I thought the Jets got a steal with with Jakai Polite, and I guess he you know he he did terrible in camp, he did terrible and and you know he has a hundred thousand dollars worth of fines, and you know he probably had to be late a lot, and it just it was a total mess. So I mean, uh, I credit you for seeing that before I did, but I, I I was I was still really shocked, and it's kind of sad because I think I thought he had a lot of pass rush potential. He does, and uh, the the truth is that usually if a guy is struggling in, in preseason, in training camp, Ed, and he's a rookie, he's a third-round pick, he usually doesn't get cut. I mean, a team is hoping, even though it's a new GM and he has no ties to, to this draft and these draft picks, still, you don't pull a plug on a third-round type of player who was projected to go in the first round if it wasn't for those character concerns. But Polite needs to become more of a professional, Ed. This, I'm sure he can handle the on-the-field stuff. I'm not sure he can handle the off-the-field stuff right now. And all those rumors that have come out after they, they cut him, that he was always late to practice, that he's got a lot of fines. This guy has is, is got to grow up. This isn't college anymore. This is the professional ranks. And if you thought you were going to get a free pass, 
obviously, <laughs> that, that's not the case. Even third-round picks get cut. I mean, Maurice Claret got cut by the Denver Broncos. Ja'Kai Polite got cut here. Obviously, it seems like the Seahawks picked him up, right? Yeah, but I mean, he's in the practice squad, and... You know, generally, generally when you're on the practice squad, you're you're sort of, I mean, that's like one foot out the door of the NFL. I mean, it's like you're half in, but you're half out. You're not playing in games. You're not, I mean, a lot of guys, uh, from what I follow, a lot of guys, they play on the practice squad one year, and then some other young player, you know, undrafted free agent has a good camp, and all of a sudden you're gone. So, I mean, he he really could be gone by next year. He's got an uphill battle. Uh, there's no question about it. But the Seahawks always, obviously, they, they thought highly of him in order to bring him in after all the troubles that, that he's had with, with the Jets. But I, I wish him nothing but the best. I, I always root for players that can conquer their demons, guys that can resurrect their careers. I mean, it hasn't always been pretty for, for some of these guys in the beginning of their, of their career. But some of these guys have been able to pick it up and resurrect it and kind of just and become good players. So I'm hoping Polite is going to be one of those guys that we'll hear from him again for, for good reasons, not all the wrong ones. Right now, he definitely has an uphill battle to, you know, to make the team next year. Uh, this is, you know, it's, like I said, I wish him luck. I, I really do. Uh, Ed, scouting reports. We obviously, every time we look at, at players, we break them down. We put them under the microscope, as I call it. And this week, we decided to look at probably the best uh, offensive tackle in the 2020 NFL Draft. I'm not afraid to say it. I think this guy deserves to be a top three, top five type of, type of pick. This guy can still grow and become a better player. Um, I, I think he's got all the potential in the world. And I haven't been this excited about an offensive tackle since Laramie Tunsil when he was coming out of Old Miss. And I actually feel that Andrew Thomas, and we're talking about Andrew Thomas, the left tackle from Georgia, I think he has a lot more potential than Laramie Tunsil. How do you feel about him? Well... If he doesn't make it as a tackle in the league, I'm just going to say he's going to be an excellent guard. He's an excellent run blocker. In fact, I mean, he, he he's ready now for the NFL as far as a run blocking. Um, I think he's a good pass blocker. Um, the the one thing that I worry about with Thomas is I think he has very average feet. And I th- it's not that his feet are bad. but I Really? Just, yeah, I just... Really? I, I, don't think, I don't think he moves as well as a... As a left tackle, I mean, we're talking about a guy who's going to be picked in the top three, right? I mean, this this may be, you know, the guy you and I pick to be, like, least likely to fall out of the top five. And so, I mean, I'm, I'm going to really give it to him hard. And I, I am going to say I think I think the way he moves laterally I think is is, is very average. I'm not, it's a weakness for a guy with his pedigree. Actually, our scouting reports are, like, completely different. I, I guess... You and I are seeing things differently, and that's actually good. Because when I look at him, and when I look at Andrew Thomas, I think he is a very good pass blocker. I think he's got quick feet, and he moves well, Ed. Um, At times, I mean, against these athletic SEC rush guys, um, he, he can recover really, really well. I think he's very athletic. He fires out of his stance um, better than... 90% of the tight ends that I see in college. 
he's able to get to that second level. My concern is actually with his Brun blocking, to be honest with you, because I don't see that power. I Look, he's for a guy who's about 6'5", 6'4", 6'5", 320 pounds, I just I don't see him sustaining those blocks as a run blocker. I, I don't see that power. I think he needs to get stronger. But as a pass protector, I actually have less concerns there. So continue uh, because, I, like I said, we're we're seeing different things. Well, I, and I, I just think he's got a lot more concerns. I have more concerns with him as a run blocker, and that's why I see him as a tackle instead of a guard. I don't have a problem that he's going to measure like six four and a half. I mean, Isaiah Wynn is the starting left tackle right now. He's about six three and a half for for the Patriots. So I don't have a problem with him playing on the edge. I think he can handle the pass protection duties. I like his. I love his athleticism, and I, I do think he's got quick feet. the The biggest question marks for me when it comes to with the Andrew Thomas, he needs to play with better leverage, especially in the run game, and like I said, needs to get stronger and needs to show more nasty empower in his game but as far as a pass protector i i have less concerns there well i don't i don't question that he's going to be a good pass protector i don't question that he's a left tackle in the nfl i think he is a left tackle in the nfl i just i think i think his build i think he's more you know is is it kind of like is he more of a power guy or is he more of an athletic guy and i i see him as more of a power guy he weighs in at 320 pounds he's a big body uh, you know, I, I'm not saying he doesn't carry his weight well, but he's 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 a bigger left tackle, and I think he, to be honest with you, I think, you know, I, 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 I he's a, it, I, let me, I just, let me say I, I, he's I a bigger, he's a bigger, he's a bigger tackle, Ed, but he doesn't play like a big tackle. That that's what I'm saying. I, I don't see that power. I don't see that strength. I don't see him dominating those guys. You know, when I put in, I see those guards that, that Georgia has, they're dominating. They're like power guys. They can drive guys, you know, five feet. Thomas doesn't do that. He does that based on angle blocking. He does it based on, uh, you know, his footwork. But this isn't like a, a guy that, that, that takes the defensive line and just pushes him back. There were a couple of times against Quinn and Williams last year, he was just driven back hard by Quinn and Williams. And this was a result of Williams being stronger and Williams playing with better pad level. And, and that's where I think that Andrew Thomas needs to improve. But I do feel that with his potential, like I'm, some people are going, wow, wow. You're talking about a top three, top five pick and you're like, you're bringing him down right now. Yeah, I'm pointing out the negatives right now. But I do think that based on what I've seen, Thomas was a right tackle as a freshman. He moved to the left side as a sophomore. I expect him to grow. I think he's going to be a much better player as a junior. And that's why with his potential and upside and athleticism, he's definitely a franchise type of left tackle. And that's why I think see him going top three or top five in next year's draft. Well, I don't deny that he's a he's a franchise type of left tackle. Um, I just I just think he's he's got the run blocking down a lot better than he's got the pass blocking down, and I think he's a better I think he's more of a powerful guy. I mean, he's the type of guy where if you bull rush him, I mean, you're not. I mean, you you may he does struggle a little bit. The other weakness I see is he struggles a little bit to sustain blocks. But if you bull rush him, you're done. You're done. There's no bull rushing him. I mean, you have to be Derek Brown in this draft to to be able to bull rush him. 
And both, and he wouldn't even go against. Well, they're Derek not going to go against and, each yeah, other. But, Obviously, yeah, I doubt that they're going to go against each other. But he'll he'll have some stiff competition. I mean, Alabama and always has some guys out there. So we'll we'll see him, you know, matching up against those guys. I think I don't see that power when he's run blocking Ed. and pass protection. He compen- he overcompensates because he's got technique down, but he's got to play with better leverage. And he's got to play with more power as a run blocker. Again, we, like I said, you and I are seeing a little bit differently. I'm, I watched the Alabama game, a couple of them. You know, I watched the LSU game. Uh, I watched them against Texas. And I also felt like at the end of games, I wanted to bring this up, I thought he wore down. I thought his technique got a little bit worse. I thought he got tired, his conditioning. And it seemed like he he broke down a few times mentally. He wasn't ready for for the blitzer. He he gave up a few pass rushes. He gave up a few pressures at the end of the game. So another another one of my concerns is that Thomas needs to play the entire 60 minutes. It's great that he plays for 55 minutes. But when it's the last drive... And your quarterback is on the on his back, you know, when you're giving up a sack or quarterback pressure. That's something I would like to see Andrew Thomas improve on. It just got to keep your head in the game mentally through the full 60 minutes. All right, do you want to go on? Who to- would you compare him to? Who would you compare him to, Ed? I mean, you've seen some offensive linemen come out before. Uh, before we move on to the next one, uh, g- give me a comparison. Like in terms of the the type of player that he he could develop into. Gosh, he he kind of reminds me a little bit of Trey Adams from Washington. I know I know that that's not a big name player. I mean, um, that that's that's honestly the player that he kind of reminds me of. Um, I mean, player player in the league. If if Adams if Adams is healthy, uh, if he's gonna stay healthy. Who do you like better? Do you like Thomas or Adams? And Trey Adams, by the way, is offensive tackle for the Washington Huskies. To be honest with you, I, I kind of like Trey Adams. Who are you a bigger fan? Of? I, I like Trey Adams, but I mean, he he has too many injury issues. I mean, we've we've already kind of said it. I mean, that's why he's not, you know, he's not going to get picked where Andrew Thomas is going to get picked because Andrew Thomas has stayed relatively healthy at Georgia. He has so far, and hopefully he's he's going to be able to put together another healthy junior season and he is he is going to be the top tackle in next year's draft i'm i'm not worried in, in saying that i just based this is a very there will be a couple of talented guys that will go in the first round but to me andrew thomas is still above those other prospects Let's move on to the defensive side of the ball. Let's talk about Christian Fulton, uh, the cornerback from LSU. And he's got an interesting story, Ed, before we uh, we get to the scouting report and stuff like that. It's just a very interesting story because this was a five-star recruit. He was supposed to be the next best, biggest thing um, to come out of LSU. He was supposed to be that next great cornerback. Um, he was supposed to be that guy before Greedy Williams became that guy for LSU during his freshman and sophomore season. But five-star recruit, consensus top 25 prospect was suspended for two years because 
a very interesting story. He thought he was going to get cut for marijuana use. Uh, they tested him for performance-enhancing drugs, and, and he tried to switch the, the urine sample. And when he got cut, when he got caught, um, he got suspended for two years. Then that sentence was brought down. Uh, it went down from two to, to one year. It was just a technicality type of thing. Fulton was not supposed to play last year, but he was cleared at the last minute. And you know what? To be honest with you, uh, last year, Ed, I, I know you love Greedy Williams a lot, but Fulton had a much better year last year than Greedy Williams. Williams obviously came on the scene as a freshman and just blew up. But last year, Fulton was a more consistent cornerback in the LSU uh, secondary. Well, I do think that Fulton has really good tape. I mean, the off this field stuff, I mean, teams are going to judge that. Obviously, you know, the fact that he didn't get out until his senior year and the fact that, you know, he's he's been suspended and, you know, he's he's had he's had the off the field issues, um, you know, will, will, will hurt his hurt his stock. But I mean, when you when you talk about film and guy guy as a corner and as a press cover corner, I think he's the best press corner in this draft. I mean, would you say that's? I mean, as far as like guys we've watched, I mean, can you, can is there anyone you think is better than him? He's the best man-to-man corner. He's aggressive. He's physical. He's got the size. Uh, and he's got the you know he's got the speed. He runs down with those you know Georgia wide receivers. Doesn't have a problem those guys that you know run. Four three four four. I mean, he's running step for step with Nico Hardman when when you watch the tape. Um, yeah, he is. He's definitely a very talented guy. Because you and I talked about Bryce Hall. He's a zone corner uh, for Virginia, and um, obviously we'll see if he's going to be able to to match up man to man at the Senior Bowl. If he's going to have success there, C.J. Henderson struggled a huge. I mean, he really did struggle in that. Week one game, you know that that Florida opened up um, to to begin the season against Miami. I thought C.J. Henderson looked. I mean, he's got to pick it up, and uh, Fulton definitely has a lot more potential, especially for a guy that he practiced in 2017. By the way, with the team, he just wasn't allowed to play in the games, so he was ready. But last year, he was consistent. He came back and he was holding his own as as the right cornerback there. He was doing his thing. And this year, obviously, he's going to be the number one guy with Grady Williams moving on. Physical, he's got the size, he's got definitely has 4-4 speed. Uh, I love his man coverage skills. And obviously, LSU does like to mix it up. And, uh, you know, he does have experience there. At times, I, I want to see him develop more of a jam at the line of scrimmage. Um, at times, he misses. Um, I also believe that, you know, there's, he, at times, he does get over-aggressive. And he can get faked out by those double moves. Um, you know, he, he bites on the short route, and wide receiver can just, you know, the stop-and-go type of routes. And Fulton does get exposed. He does get grabby with wide receivers downfield. But there's a lot to like, Ed. From a physical standpoint and from his technique standpoint as a man corner, he's hands down right now the, the top guy going into next, this season. 
Yeah, I guess I, I do want to point out some things that I see on tape that I kind of worry about. Um, the first is I don't think he's the most sure-handed tackler. I think he's I think he he is capable of being a tackler, but I don't think he's I don't think he's reliable. Um, you know, I think he just overall needs to be better in the run game. Um, and the other thing I see is I think he needs to be, you know, as you kind of said it, I'd like to see him be a better jammer. I would just say, I'd like to see him be a more physical guy, you know, just, you know, make it, make it, make it heck for the receiver. And I, I, you know, as far as mirroring and staying with his man and man coverage skills, he has it, but you know, I, I'd like to, I'd like to kind of inject a little bit of nasty into his game. And I think that would really help him. He's excellent. He's excellent in uh, when he stays in phase and he's mirroring the receiver. And that's a typical LSU corner. They're they're well coached in that regard. I mean, I've, I've seen that with Tredavious White. I've seen that with Greedy Williams. And, and Fulton is right up there with them. So I actually thought that Fulton was going to come out as a junior. Uh, he was one of the surprise guys. Him... Raquan Davis and Derek Brown really surprised me. I thought, you know, the off the field stuff, people are going to ask those questions about Fulton next year. And uh, he was going to answer those questions in this year's draft, and he's going to answer them in the 2020 NFL draft. So I guess he wanted to become a model citizen for a couple of years at LSU. So maybe he would, teams will have less questions about him in next year's draft but well another talented lsu corner and it's just this this is like dbu uh, at times miami used to be dbu now it's lsu all over that well this year this year he doesn't have to compete with deandre baker and uh and his teammate his former teammate greedy williams so i think i think that's a good reason why he stayed for his senior year well, Baker was taken at the end of the first round, and Greedy Williams fell into the second round. So obviously, the NFL didn't think that highly of, of the cornerback class, Ed. If the top two guys are, what, the first cornerback went off the board at the end of the first round. So if Fulton would have answered those questions off the field, he might have been a top 15 guy because NFL teams were looking for a shutdown corner. So if this year's draft, the 2019 draft, was the draft to to enter if you were a cornerback, if you were a, a DB. In next year's draft, there's a little bit more competition. I mean, there's Hall, there's C.J. Henderson. We talked about those guys, obviously. And I think the competition is a bit stiffer in next year's draft. But like I said, I think it had a lot more to do with Fulton wanted to show that he can stay on the field for the second consecutive year, not only do right things on the field but off the field as well because i mean that that's huge ed uh, obviously he's his story is is unique uh, he wasn't supposed to come back last year he did you know obviously played lights out at times i, I thought he was the more consistent corner again n- no disrespect to greedy williams but last year wasn't the best year for greedy uh, it wasn't the best year for greedy and i thought fulton had an excellent year all right um Let's talk about college football, Ed. Week one. Um, it was an exciting week for, for a lot of teams, a lot of surprises. And once again, we found out that a Pac-12 team should never be considered a, a college football playoff type of contender. You and I were both high on Oregon. We still think they're going to win the Pac-12. 
because but they couldn't finish it off and they had all the chances in the world but once again a Pac-12 team loses to Auburn opening week I think people are being too hard on on uh, or on on Oregon. I think Justin Herbert had a very good game. I think they lost it on the last possession. If 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 Oregon holds them on that last possession, they win the game and the and the narrative changes. Then it's like you know, should we talk about Pac-12 teams in the in the West? I mean, this is one game that came down to one possession. So I'm not ready to give up on Oregon, and I. I think Auburn is good, but I think they're I think they're way overrating the way Bo Nix did better than Justin Herbert. I don't think so. I think Justin Herbert had a better game than Bo Nix. People are trying to make Bo Nix a star, and they're trying to say Justin Herbert's overrated just because of one possession. Herbert definitely had the better game. Nix got hot at the right time. Obviously, in the fourth quarter, he made some plays, but. He struggled in the first half, and that was evident. But Oregon should have put Auburn away a long time ago, Ed. I mean, Oregon was up 7-0, to zero, and a wide receiver dropped a touchdown pass. Herbert threw a nice pass, and the wide receiver dropped it. Then a freshman kicker missed a field goal. So that was three points on the board. Now, Oregon, like I said, it's then I, I remember Herbert fumbling the ball in the red zone. Uh, another momentum swing. And uh, Auburn defensive lineman almost returned it for a touchdown. So they left points on the board, especially in the first half. Oregon could have put this game away. They could have been up like 21 to nothing before Auburn you know, rebounded and got into the game. But they weren't able to do that, and that was the undoing. It wasn't about the one possession. Oregon could have put this game away in the first half, and the, the Tigers wouldn't have even been in there. And the Ducks just, they gave it away. And when they had to make plays in the fourth quarter, in the second half, Herbert didn't make them. And that was a bit disappointing. I'm not going to say Knicks had the better game. Herbert had a good game. But overall, when they needed to make a stop at the end of the game, Oregon didn't. And that was defensively. When they needed to score those points in the first half, when they were in the red zone, wide receiver drops it. Herbert fumbles the ball. You, you can't do that. I mean, you got to walk away at least with the three points, and, and they didn't do that. That was, that was disappointing, and hopefully Oregon can bounce back because that first game is so important. When things don't go right and you lose a close game like that, it could be heartbreaking, and I, I hope the Ducks can rebound. So let's, let's kind of zone in on the, the sort of line play. Let's talk about... Oregon's offensive line and Auburn's defensive line. How did you think those guys did? I thought Oregon's offensive line did well. Um, I actually, I guess, expected a little bit more out of Derek Brown. Um, I thought the interior offensive line the line for Oregon played well. Um, I'm talking about the, the centers and the guards. Uh, I, I thought they were able to handle the Oregon front. I'm not saying, you know, I expected... Davidson and Coe and, and Brown to dominate. I, I didn't see that, Ed. What did you see? I thought I thought Nick Coe was more disappointing than Derek Brown. I saw Derek Brown winning his matchups. I mean, the the sad thing about this was that Lemieux wasn't going against uh Derek Brown and Coe wasn't going against um Sewell. So I mean, it would have been nice if the two sides had kind of matched up and they 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 would have had better matchups. But I thought 
I thought the Oregon offensive line showed themselves well. I thought I thought Derek Brown had a good game. I just I I thought Nick Coe. I didn't think Nick Coe was as good. Like I said, I, I expected the Auburn defensive line to make more plays, and um, overall, they, they didn't. So I thought the Oregon front, the offensive line, did a pretty good job. But still, Oregon gave this game away. Again, too many points on the board in the first half that they should have scored at least another touchdown, at least another field goal, another 10 points. And it wouldn't have come down to that you know, last-second type of drive where Nick's threw the ball and Seth Williams came down with it. That, it shouldn't have come down to that. Oregon should have been way ahead, and, and they just let Auburn hang around, hang around, hang around. And in the fourth quarter, obviously, the Tigers made a few plays, and they came back and, and made that that magical. And now Bo Nix is just, he's the hero. He's just, he's the hero at, in that state, and, and that's it. People are going to be like, Jesus is like Trevor Lawrence all over again. He's no Trevor Lawrence, all right? Bo Nix has got a long way to go. But a, a nice win for, for the Auburn Tigers. Um, anything else stood out to you during the, the first week of the season, college football? Well, I, we have to talk about the Georgia State upsetting Tennessee. I mean, the SEC just didn't have a good day. No, they didn't. No, they, they really didn't. And Tennessee, that's, that's the type of game that they, they got to win. I mean, Georgia State was like two and ten last year. I doubt that this is this is a team that's going to win, you know, ten games. So Tennessee, that's that's just a bad start for them. Uh, what do you think about Boise State, Florida State? You and I were going back and forth a little bit. Florida State got off to a, a great start. Blackman was was on fire. He threw three touchdowns in the first half. Florida State had the lead, and then all of a sudden, another freshman quarterback comes out of nowhere and just puts Boise State on his back and has a really good second half. And Boise State slowly but surely came back in the game and and came out with an upset. What was Florida State doing, Ed? I was just like, I wanted to call their offensive coordinator and say, run the football. You've got the lead. Milk the clock a little bit. They were throwing the football in the second half and it's not a surprise that Boise State was able to return and eventually win the game. Willie Taggart is in trouble, Ed. He definitely is. And, I mean, even some Florida State fans are rooting against Taggart because they're just, you know, they're rooting against their team because they, they just want to see this guy go. I've, I've, I hear a rumor that Taggart is having a hard time getting the right personnel on the field, and that is a serious issue for a team like Florida State. So I, I, think, I think the writing's on the wall that Taggart's going to be gone at the end of the year. I wanted, yeah, I wanted to say that uh, obviously the Mountain West Conference had a great debut in in week one. It was, first of all, Hawaii, they beat Arizona in, in week zero. Nevada pulled off a stunner against Purdue. We talked about Boise State overcoming and dominating in the second half, and they beat Florida State. Florida State didn't score a single point in the second half in Tallahassee. It's not that they're playing on the blue field in Boise. Uh, Wyoming stunned Missouri. Um, obviously, it wasn't all perfect. You know, Fresno State lost and uh, Utah State lost. But again, a great weekend for Wyoming, Boise State, Nevada, and Hawaii. It's just great start. And Mountain West Conference has always been underrated. And uh, once again, they proved it during... Uh, Week one action. 
Um, but it was an exciting, it was an exciting weekend. Uh, not too many headline games. We didn't have any Alabama, Georgia, or or something like that. But again, it was it was a really unique, interesting weekend, and a, a lot of a lot of upsets uh, during the first week of the season. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, the interesting thing is, is that the top twenty-five pretty much stayed intact, though, despite despite the fact that there were some pretty bad upsets. Yeah, definitely. Now, but like I said, keep an eye on the Mountain West Conference. Uh, it seems like they've got some things cooking out there. This was uh, Blitzcast number seventy-one. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back next week. Take care. Bye bye.